please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we are in verse 6 this evening. 2 Samuel 11 verse 6. Nice to get some warm weather today. If you would consider the question with me, what if? That's what we've been asking ourselves as we've been in this section of 2 Samuel. And it's really, what would God do in our lives? And what would he do in our church if we walked in sexual integrity? God's message to the church of Thyatira was that they were walking in sexual sin. God confronted that sexual sin. And he said, if you continue in it, I'm going to put you into a sickbed. But he also said, if you repent and you hold fast... I'll give you power over the nations. Last week, we looked at Christ being the lion of the tribe of Judah. And because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, that we can face things in our lives and expect that he's going to bring us victory. Also, we're right in this section with David and Bathsheba. You remember two weeks ago, we found that David committed adultery with Bathsheba. What we're going to look at tonight is he's now hiding. He's hiding in his sexual sin. And as we spend time in these messages, we're taking a journey. And I really want to grab your attention if I can right now because I believe that God is taking us somewhere in this month of April. We're going to have two more messages after this on this topic from the life of David. And that's going to lead us to April 23rd where we're having a sexual integrity conference. We're bringing in two speakers, Dr. Julie Slattery and also Dr. Doug Weiss. And I want to encourage all of you to sign up and come. Men, women, will, men and women will be meeting separately for two sessions, and then we'll meet together. Married, single, all ages, there'll be children's ministry. It's free 90 free. Did you hear that? It's free 90 free. It's going to be from 830 to 12. And if you're doing good in this area, I would encourage you to come. Because one of the things that we see about the life of David is anyone can fall in this area. Amen. A lot of times the mighty fall in this area. So if you think, man, I don't need this. This isn't for me. Ah, Please come. And if you're doing well in this area, it's going to strengthen you. It's going to bless you. If you're struggling in this, this area, believe that this is for you. If you're walking in bondage, we believe that God can bring victory. And then after that conference, we're going to have book studies for the next five weeks that are meeting in small group format for men and women to go through the book Clean for Men from Dr. Doug Weiss and Pulling Back the Shades from Julie Slattery. So as we go through this message, this is what I think we're in danger of, of it just being another message, of coming in and not really expecting for God to meet with us, not really expecting for for God to speak to us and, and show us his love, to call us out of hiding, And I really believe that God has a special work for us. I was reading in Psalms 19 this morning, and it begins with this truth of the psalmist saying, God, I I give you my heart. I want to seek you. I love your truth. I love your, your word. And that really stirred me. And right now as we pray, I want you to give God your heart. Let's give God our heart. Let's draw near to him. Let's see what he would want to speak to us tonight. So so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the transparency of your word. You could have just shown us all of the good things that David did, but you also show us his sin. You show us his failure. And afresh tonight, Father, we declare that we love you. You're our dad. We give our hearts to you. We adore you. We love your word. We love your truth. In any area of our life, especially in this area of sexual sin, we don't want to hide. We don't want to hide from you because you're our father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Come out of hiding. We live in a culture of hiding. Just ask Volkswagen. They've been all over the news because they released a car in 2008 that they claimed had clean diesel fuel. That was the big advertisement to say, look, it does less damage to the environment, has clean emissions. But they rigged it. They rigged it, and actually it was polluting far more than just your normal vehicle. And this goes on until 2015, and now it's revealed this week in the news The Federal Trade Commission in the United States is suing Volkswagen, this German company, for U.S. customers that were ripped off. Do you know how many of these cars are driving the roads? 550,000 just in the United States. Half a million of these cars in those seven years. A whole corporation that's known for cool cars. I mean, Volkswagens have got cool cars. We were driving and saw an old slug bug on the way to church tonight, and I got to educate the kids on what a slug bug was, right? <laughs> these, are, these are cool cars. But for some reason, someone high up in their corporation said, you know, we're going to de- make this decision of hiding. I think to some degree in your life, you can relate to hiding, can't you? Something that you just hid. Definitely in childhood, huh? I remember third grade, I was spending the weekend at my aunt and uncle's house, Dave and Carolyn Dorman, and they're really like my grandparents. All my aunts and uncles on my mom's side are are a lot older because my mom is the youngest. And so my grandparents were, were really old, and then my aunt and uncles were really more like my grandparents. So I'd spend a lot of time with them, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And this one particular weekend, I had a spelling test coming up. And I did not want to spend this weekend at my aunt and uncle's studying for spelling, because it was fun there. Lots of good food, and watching TV, and hanging out. I was like, I, I do not want to trade in that fun for studying. So I came up with this elaborate scheme. I'm going to hide this spelling book underneath the bed. I'm going to go back to school on Monday morning. I'm going to tell the teacher, I really wanted to study. I mean, I really did, but I lost my book. And then hopefully she wouldn't make me take the test. And I got to tell you, it worked. I don't know how it worked, but the teacher bought it hook, line, and sinker. I think it's these brown eyes. I gave gave her the big browns. and, And so she postponed the test. Now, you fast forward until I'm like 19, 20 years old, and I'm in a school of ministry back in southern Oregon at my church that I grew up in, Applegate Christian Fellowship. And my aunt, she lives in southern Oregon. She's like, you'll you'll never believe what I found underneath the bed. (laughs) Found your spelling book from when you were in third grade, right? And we always try to hide things, and we try to put it underneath the bed of our lives. We think it's never going to come out. I'm going to be able to cover my tracks, but the truth of the matter is, is nothing is hidden, and God's always going to allow it to be revealed. And that's the truth in David's life. He's just committed sexual sin, and now he goes through this elaborate scheme of trying to cover his tracks. What we find in the Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So if we cover our sin like David did, if we hide our our sexual sin, then we're not going to prosper. But if we forsake it and confess it, confess it to God and confess it to others, turning away from it, we'll have mercy. God is ready to give mercy. Numbers 32 says this about our sin. And be sure your sin will find you out. Isn't that true? That's one thing you can count on is your sin will find you out. 
So let's look in verse 6. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Those words, then David, then David. He sends to Joab, requesting for Uriah to come back. This is the moment that he could have chose repentance. We're all going to sin. We all do sin. It doesn't justify sin. We shouldn't be proud of the fact that we sin. But what we do when we sin is paramount. What we do in that moment, we can either stop and consider and think, okay, this is time to repent. This is time to come into the light. This is the time to get right with God and, and others, or we can choose to hide, run away from the Lord, run away from fellowship with God, isolate ourselves from others, put the spelling book under the bed, if you would, hope that no one ever finds out. And that's what David does. And what we see is this downward spiral in David's life. Remember how it starts? He doesn't go out to battle. He sends other men to go out and fight his battles. He gets up and he sees Bathsheba. That was a moment of decision. Chooses a sinful path. And now he's compounding it. He's making that choice to continue to walk in compromise. What if this would have read different? Then David repented before God. Then David got right with the Lord. Then David owned the consequences of his adultery. We wouldn't have the death of Uriah. Uriah is the husband of Bathsheba, but instead, not only is he going to commit adultery, but he's going to commit murder. So verse 7, when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. It must have been strange for Uriah to head from the battle back to have this exclusive meeting with David. It's going, what in the world did I do? Or what, what in the world's going on with this meeting? Why would David request me to, to come back? And David's making small talk about the war. How's the war going? How's the people doing? Are we prospering? And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. Do you get David's logic? Do you understand his hiding? Do you understand his scheme? He's thinking, well, Bathsheba's pregnant, but if Uriah comes back, he's going to no doubt spend time with his wife. He's going to be intimate with his wife. The proper use of, of sexuality. Then everybody will think this is Uriah's child. And I'm off the hook. I'm, I'm good to go. No problem. I can avert the consequences. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and didn't go down to his house. Uriah says, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go spend time with my wife. And he sleeps at the door of the king. I wonder what David's thinking at this point. He's going, man, what, what's he doing? Why, why is he not going home? So when they told David, saying Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you come from a journey? Why did you, go, why did you not go down to your house? So David asked the question. And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and your soul lives, I would not do this thing. 
Where's David's compromise? In his integrity. Where's Uriah's strength? In his integrity. We find later on in this study that Uriah is actually one of David's mighty men. He shows great valor. He shows great courage. He says, In all conscience, I could not go home and enjoy my wife while my commander Joab is out in battle. While all my men are out in battle. He feels guilty for that, and so he chooses not to to go home. In verse 12, Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you go depart. So Uriah, Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. David's desperate here. He's like, I've tried to convince him. I even sent him with a gift down to his house. I encouraged him to to go home. He won't do it, so I'm going to get him drunk. Once he's all drunk and liquored up, I'm sure he's going to go home. Uriah does get drunk, but he chooses to still not go home and be with his wife. This is what I want you to consider. When we hide, our focus is on consequences instead of repentance. David's hiding. He's hiding from the truth. And when we're in that place, all we can think about is how do I avert the consequences? How do I prevent this hammer from coming down upon me? I don't want the consequences. And as long as we're concerned about the consequences from sin, we haven't got to the place where we're repentant of sin. Does that make sense? So, so when sin does get exposed, and all someone can think about, talk about, wrestle through, is the consequences that they haven't got to the heart of the issue. David's not at the heart of the issue. He's lying. Sin's being multiplied in his life. He, he thinks that he can be so powerful that the consequences won't come in his life through his creativity through his ability to manipulate the situation. Repentance looks like this. God, I've sinned against you. There's conviction of the Holy Spirit, and David will get there. We'll look at that next week. You have to stay with me through this study. We're only going to get through chapter 11 tonight, and you've got to look at the redemption that's going to come in chapter 12. Tonight, we're just looking at the hiding. But repentance is that place where we're broken before God, And we say, God, I'll accept the consequences that you give. I just want to be right with you. Amen? God, I just want to be close to you. And and I'm not worried about people knowing. And I need to go talk to these people that the sin has infected. Then I'm willing to do that. So maybe tonight you're in that place and there's some type of sin in your life. And you're just thinking, I don't want the consequences to come. I don't want to be found out. I don't want people to think less of me. I don't want anybody to find out my my deep, dark secret. And God would want to speak to you tonight with his love. And he'd say, look, I want you to come to that place of desiring relationship with me. For some reason, sexual sin brings a lot of guilt and shame, doesn't it? And God's message on sex is one that's beautiful and wonderful. Inside of marriage, it's exactly what God intended. But outside of marriage, it brings destruction. It brings guilt. It brings shame. It's one of the hardest areas to go before God and to go before others and to say, look, this is where I'm at. Pornography is in my life. I I am committing fornication, sex before marriage. I am committing adultery. 
I'm committing adultery of the heart. I find this person to be attractive and they're not my, my spouse and I've allowed my heart and mind to go there. There's an emotional attachment that's takes place. And it's Satan's playground, isn't it? He loves to keep us in that, that place of, of isolation. So when we hide, we're focused on consequences instead of repentance, instead of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of of Uriah. This is just ironic. It's just wrong. Because if you know the story, what does this letter say? This letter says, kill Uriah. And he's got to deliver it to Joab by his own hand. He's delivering his own death sentence. But he's such a man of integrity, he's not going to peek. Would you peek? I'd peek, maybe, probably. (laughs) You know? Be hard to not peek. He's by himself. He could have looked, but he didn't. It's none of his business. He's a good soldier, and he's going to take this to Joab. When you think of David, do you think of him getting to this place where he's committing murder? Here's what the letter says. Saying, set Uriah in the front of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and dead. So take Uriah, get him into a real hot spot, and then the rest of the men run away from him, and he's going to die in battle. So second thing to consider, when we hide, sin is always multiplied in our lives. So as long as I'm trying to cover my tracks, as long as I'm lying, as long as I'm focused on the consequences and trying to get myself out of them, sin is going to go on to be multiplied, compounded, in my life. And we have to understand why is God so down on sin? Why is God so into sexual purity? Because he loves us. Jesus gave us his mission statement. He said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. So with that, he's calling us to a whole life. He's calling us to holiness. Our generation right now, what's popular is whole living, isn't it? Holistic living. How much do you, you hear about that Ur- urban gardening, knowing where your food is, is coming from? And that's fun. And there's some benefit to that. But do you know how much holiness will benefit you in such a greater way? I mean, that's organic living to the fullest. It's walking inside of what God has for you. God knows the damage of sin. He knows the de- destruction that it brings in our hearts and our lives. So at no point to continue sinning Is it glorifying to God or is it good for us or is it edifying the body of Christ? It's compounding. And as you're sitting here, there's probably one or two reactions. One of you may be saying, you know what, this isn't a problem for our church. I don't know why Eric is dealing with this in such detail. I wish that he would just read the story and move on. Maybe cover two chapters in in one weekend and and then, then we'd be done with it. This is good for some church down the street. You know, there's that one response that could possibly be taking place. But then some of you go, you know what? I know exactly why the Lord is doing this, because there is sexual sin in my life. And you're saying it doesn't hurt anybody. And you've begun to believe the lies of the enemy and saying, well, I can look at pornography and it's a personal thing. It's a personal choice. It's never going to affect anyone else. You know, we love each other. We're so happy. How could this be wrong? And yet it doesn't fit into 
God's commandments for, for sexuality. I've never been so happy in my, in my life, you might say. And let me speak God's word to you. This is the Lord speaking through the life of David. Is sin will always be compounded until it's repented from. And before you know it, you're going to find yourself doing things that you never thought you'd do. I'm sure that David, when he began as a young man, then when he became king, thought, yeah, I'm going to murder one of my mighty men of valor. I'm going to write this note saying, make sure that he dies. It'll increase. It'll grow. It's like a cancer. That's why God says to cut it out. Jesus gives an illustration. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. That's why it's an illustration because if he was literal about this and you cut off your right hand and you don't deal with your heart, you may then come in the next week and you have to cut off your left hand. And then after you've cut off your left hand, you you still haven't dealt with the issue. And before you know it, you've got to cut off your right foot and cut off your left foot. And we have this amputee ministry at RMC, you know. If you ever see that, run for your life. You know, what's Christ's message? He's saying, take a brutal blow to sin. Deal with it thoroughly. And what's the hope for us in, in our lives? It's the resurrection of Christ. We've continued to call these teachings overcome because the resurrected Savior is the one who has defeated the power of sin in our lives. He's the one that provides the freedom as we walk in and with him. You know, Sunday is so exciting on Resurrection Sunday. Sunrise services, great fellowship, good meals, all of these things. I woke up Monday morning thinking Christ is just as risen on Monday as he was on Sunday. But it's a lot harder to experience it. And here we are, a week later, Saturday night, and Christ is risen. And because he's risen, he has this message where he says, go your way and sin no more. I've died for you. I've risen from you. You don't have to continue in this downward spiral. But David does, and he writes this note, and he asks for the death of Uriah. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew where the valiant men were. Joab follows the instructions of David. And this bothers me. Why doesn't Joab say, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go talk to David about this. I don't want the blood of an innocent man on my hands. Have you heard the expression that absolute power corrupts absolutely? It's not biblical, it doesn't come from the Bible, but I believe it because we see so many men in Scripture, when they do have power, they really struggle with it. And David is so powerful, he can order to have somebody else's wife, Bathsheba, he can order the death of the husband, Uriah, and no one speaks up about it. And no one says, hey, look, David, you can't do this. We're God's chosen people. And what we look inside of the heart of David is this issue of authority. This issue of being somebody who is under God's authority. We should never get to the place where we see ourselves as kings and queens that we can march through our lives doing whatever we want, taking whatever we want. How are we to see our lives? That we're servants of Jesus Christ. That he's our Lord. That's what it means. We sang tonight that he's the Lord of all. That means he's my master. He's my king. I don't have the authority to do this. How many of you guys have ever heard of the ministry family life? Dr. Dennis Rainey. Okay, if you haven't heard it, go online, check it out. It's a a great ministry. 
Listen to his podcast from this week where he interviewed Josh McDowell. How many of you guys have heard of Josh McDowell? All right. In the introduction of Josh McDowell, they said he's spoken over 41,000 times. <laughs> That's incredible. 41,000 times. 41,000 different times he spoke. Do you know what Josh McDowell is really passionate about right now? Is specifically sexual sin and pornography because of the damage that he's seeing it take place in society. This Monday, he's doing a conference on the East Coast just to deal with the issue of pornography. One of the guest speakers that he's having to come and share is an expert on the damage that pornography does, a professor from Penn State. And this professor said that they have stopped doing studies on the damage of pornography, scientific studies, because they can't find a group of young people that haven't been exposed to pornography. So they have nothing to compare it to. One of the things that was brought up is that kids in Christian homes are more susceptible to looking at pornography than even at homes of unbelievers because we inside of the church fail to be honest about how real this issue is and we think, well, Johnny won't look at pornography. You know, Susie won't look at pornography. The statistics of kids in the church from age 18 to 24 of women, of of young gals, 56% of the ladies age 18 to 24 are looking at pornography inside of the church. 18 to 24 for men, 76%. It's not that your child's outgoing looking for pornography. Pornography is out looking for your child. And as a, as a church and Christian parents, we don't want to realize that. We don't want to be honest about how susceptible they are to that in their, in their places of, of their lives. And this was the point that Josh McDowell made that really spoke to my heart. And he said, when people look at pornography, it erodes authority in their life. They don't care about authority. A child looks at pornography, starting at young ages, gets to the point where they continue that in high school and into college, and it erodes authority in their life. Where they say, I'm not going to listen to mom and dad. I'm not going to listen to my teachers. I'm not going to listen to anybody. And ultimately, it then erodes the authority of God's word in their life. I'm not going to be a person who lives under the authority of God's word. I believe that to be true of all of us if we choose to look at pornography. It has an impact. It has an effect. It's very real. David's proof of it. Verse 16, look at it. He can order the death of somebody and he refuses to live under God's authority. Because if we can walk into sexual sin, what are we declaring? God, I don't want to live under your authority. I want to be selfish. I want to gratify myself. It's an authority issue. In verse 17, Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Pay attention closely to verse 17. Uriah is not the only one that died. It says that some of the people, the servants of David fell. It's speaking of their death and Uriah died also, plural statement. I've never noticed that before. I've read this a lot in my devotions. I've even taught through this section of scripture before. There was Uriah who died and other innocent men who died as well. This is the reality of sin, any type of sin and sexual sin included, is sin affects others. I can distinctly remember sitting down with kids 
to be with them as they heard that their dad was being unfaithful and was leaving their mom for another woman. And these kids are devastated and crying in ways that I've never heard before. It doesn't just hurt you. It hurts innocent bystanders that you love the most. I've sat with spouses who have described their husband choosing pornography and the pain and the betrayal that it's brought into their heart and their life. I've sat down with young men that have described, you know, I was walking in to the family room and saw the pornography that dad was looking at. I was 13 years old and it sent me in a complete tailspin and began to describe struggles that they've had in their lives. Uriah's dead. He's dead. Innocent men are are dead with him. And we have to believe what Proverbs 6 tells us. For by a means of a harlot, a man's reduced to a crust of bread. An adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Verse 18, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why do you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth, which is another name for Jerubbabel, which is another name for Gideon, Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on them from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near to the wall? Then you should say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. Joab knows David. And if he gives this report that men died, David's going to be mad and say, that makes no sense. Why, Why would you come so close to the wall? Don't you remember how Abimelech died? So he coaches the messenger and says, just say, Uriah the Hittite died. And David's not going to be mad. So the messenger went and came and told David and all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and come out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. That's how far David is into the sin. It's how far he's into covering up his tracks and hiding. He says, hey, Tell Joab, don't worry about it. It's part of war. It's part of war. The sword, sword devours. He's callous to his sin. In verse 26, notice how scripture describes this. The wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. She mourned for her husband. Scripture always refers to Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah, never as the wife of David. That's how God records it. That's how he says it. God's choosing his words carefully. He says, this is the wife of Uriah. And she heard that her husband was dead, and she mourned. She broke. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore 
him a son. David's thinking, hey, this worked out. This worked out. Would have been easier if Uriah would have just went home. But I took care of the problem. Uriah's dead. I'll take that Sheba as a wife. End of chapter. We all go home. Have a nice evening. Wait a second. It says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God, as he's writing this in his word, he just records all of these events for us, doesn't he? He's just putting it out there. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. And then God gives his commentary on it. He says, this thing that David did, it displeased me. It broke my heart. When we hide, we fail to realize that God sees. That God sees. Jesus has eyes as a flame of fire. That's what we read in Revelation 1 last week. He sees. David thinks that he can get away with this. He's not getting away with anything. God sees. And when it comes to sexual sin and any sin in our lives, he, God sees it. And it displeases him and it breaks his heart. So where do we go from here? How do we get to a place where we come out of hiding? And thinking about this and praying about this message, what's the motivation that causes us to come out of hiding? If you know the story in chapter 12, David's going to get busted by the Lord. God loves him enough to correct him. Then the repentance is going to come, and God is gracious, and God restores. But wouldn't it have been great if David repented before he got busted? And what would cause us to say, you know what, I'm not going to wait until I get busted. I'm not going to wait until my spouse discovers what's on my phone, you might say. Or your computers are discovered. Or that other woman, that other man is, is discovered. What, what would cause us to, to come to a place of saying, I want to be in a place that I'm open and transparent before God? Turn with me to Genesis 3. Because David's not the first to hide. Genesis chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin, they fall, they eat of the forbidden fruit in verse 6. Genesis 3 verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and organic, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband and he was more than happy to eat it as well. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves. Also, everybody say, ouch. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? You know what causes us to come out of hiding? Is the voice of our Father saying, hey, where are you? What we're missing the most when we're in compromise and we're covering up our sin is fellowship with our Father. Amen? And I think you know in your heart tonight it may be sexual sin. It may be some other area of your life. But fellowship has been broken with God. 
He's light. He won't fellowship with darkness. If we want to fellowship with him, we've got to bring it into the light. Before you close your Bible, look at verse 21 of the same chapter. Also for Abraham and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. The father covered the consequence of their sin and that's that they were now exposed to their nakedness. God has not stopped covering our sin. He ultimately gives his son. This is the first time that we see death mentioned in the scripture. Ultimately pointing to the death of Jesus. I know that this is a very painful subject. Some of you at some point passed in your life, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you committed adultery. And all you heard through this whole message is condemnation. And I want you to hear that God forgives you. You've been forgiven for a long time. Some of you at some point in your life, there was a deep pit of sexual sin. And just hearing this message, you just feel all the condemnation that that comes in. No, not at all. You've repented. God restores. He forgives. He wants to use that as a trophy of his grace. He covers. But if you're in that place where you're in the midst of that sexual sin tonight, would you come out of hiding? And you say, how do I even do that? What does that mean to to come out of hiding? Billy's going to come and and sing a last song. And I think it begins right now in this moment, responding to what God is doing. It's so important to respond in the moment. It's always important for me when God's touching my heart to respond in the moment. And as Billy sings, bring it to the Lord. Acknowledge, God, you see. You see this pornography. You see the sexual sin. You see this in my heart. You see the lying. You see this this mass cover-up. God, I'm bringing it to you. And I'm repenting of it. I'm turning away from it. And then something else that's really important is you need to tell another believer. And men, you need to talk with men. Women, you need to talk with women, unless it's your spouse. The book of James tells us and says that as we confess our sin to one another and pray for one another, we'll be healed. That's what the word of God says. And a lot of times we experience forgiveness with the Lord as we confess to the Lord, but the pattern of sin continues in our lives. There isn't victory because we haven't taken it that step further and said, I'm pulling back the shades. I'm coming out of hiding with God and with others. And what keeps us from doing that? It's our pride. We don't want people to know the reality of our struggle. We don't want people to know the reality of our sin. But it's interesting, we all wrestle with sin, don't we? In one way or another. And to be able to say, I I don't care what people think about me anymore. Maybe you don't want to be honest with your spouse about struggles in your life because I don't want to hurt them. I'm going to go from here to here in their eyes. That's that step of faith. You know, I can't go to a brother in Christ about this. They respect me. I'm, I'm their mentor. You take that step, step of faith. I can't go to that sister in Christ, ladies, you might say. But Satan wins when we stay in a place of hiding in any area of compromise. Because can't you see how Satan just continues to get the victory in this story until David gets to that place of repentance? The bondage continues. The guilt, the shame continues. There's no healing. There's no freedom. It's just sin continuing to be multiplied 
And right now you're probably wrestling. You're saying, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. And would you trust God's word? And would you close your eyes and picture the eyes of your father saying, where are you? I want to fellowship with you. I want to draw near with you. So Father, right now, as we wait upon you, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd speak to our lives, that you would let us know that you see, whether it's an area of sexual sin or it's another area of sin in our lives, that it's not guilt, it's not condemnation, it's you longing for relationship. It's you longing for that sin to not keep us from being in that place of having the fellowship and having the relationship with you. So God, would you do this work only through your Holy Spirit where we'd be open with you, where we'd be open with others, that we'd come out of hiding. And Jesus, would you bind Satan? Would you bind his lies and the darkness that's in our life? And may we experience a victory that we couldn't even imagine.